dear fellow redeemed of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially Cheryl, Harry, Susan, and his other family and friends gathered here today, especially Eric, Luke, Cran, Dave, Nick, and the saints gathered at Resurrection Lutheran Church. David Allen Robatson was born to Harry and Betty Robatson on June 4, 1959, an occasion remembered this past Monday. He graduated from high school. He did those things that we would remember, memories of him as a brother to you, Susan. And you can think of those memories, especially as his Pittsburgh family there, as a teenager, a child, and even a little newborn infant held in your hands, Harry. David was a son, a brother. David was a husband, married to Cheryl, and I'm German, not Norwegian, so I'm going to say it wrong, Skotegard or something of that nature. <laughs> Close enough. Right, right. On June 8, 1996, a day remembered, an occasion remembered yesterday. David loved his Cheryl and sought to protect her and serve her, especially given the stained glass fishbowl of life as a pastor's wife. And he did so with humor and grace. He pulled it off well. But he could hold his, hearts clo his cards close if you knew him. He was a great listener, and everyone knew him as a great listener because it was so sometimes hard to pull something out of that man. And no one knows this man, though, better than you, Cheryl. You who were one flesh with him, who remained at his side through his final suffering and loved him to the end. David was a father to his kitty cats and dogs. Yes, a father. He loved them and they loved him, showing him the courtesy of Eden, that they were created to serve him, to serve mankind. God provided these fur babies to him and he blessed his home with the right order of creation, his beloved and Cheryl and the creatures there to serve man and offer to David further love, joy, companionship. David was an uncle. He was an excellent one, with the young especially, the children looking forward to spending time with his family. He was so kind to his nephews and his niece. Ready to have fun? Always. That was David. Ready to have a laugh? That was David. Ready to crack a joke? That was David. Yes. But he was also willing to have a serious talk, if need be, to take somebody down to the lake and to calm them. Certainly able to provide care, companionship, and love for those he cared for and loved. David was a pastor. The Lord called him into the office of the holy ministry, and David was a faithful pastor, a good one at that. Like all good ones, he wanted no glory brought to himself. Soli Deo Gloria, he knew what the Latin meant, to God alone be glory. And he's likely mad that I've spent so much time already talking about him. Like all good pastors, he loved the importance of his vocation. The serving, the working with God's people, bringing the joy of the gospel to bear in every circumstance, 
whether in Minnesota, off of Fairfield, or here, up Blue Angel. Or, not here, this particular pulpit, but the pulpit traveled with him, if you will, to the hospital bedside, to the home. And like all good pastors, though, his ministry was full of prayer, study, and something we don't mention too often, suffering. In her conflicts of effectiveness of his ministry, he was no stranger to that. Doubts about his own skills, the joys countered by the sorrows and the frustrations, the attacks of the enemy even, like unto Moses, attempting to lead the people to the promised land, happy to do so, but dealing with the attacks. God's people grumbling along the way and having to even see some of the tribe, some of Israelite, turn against God, leave the church, join up with the pagans. There were both joys and sorrows. That's what I'm trying to say. But in all this behind the scenes, except the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the chief one who held up these prophets' hands was you, Cheryl. But also you are more than a pastor's wife. You're David Allen's wife. And the one flesh ripped back into two hurts, especially when the tear is done slowly. A threefold cord is not easily broken. A threefold cord that has over 20 years to meld into one beautiful cord of husband and wife and God together always has now had the one strand pulled away. And that's hard. Yet there are still two gourds bound together. The Lord remains near to you in your grief, in everything, anywhere you go. You can't flee his presence, and you know that that's a good thing, because he's the God who loves you, and he's the God who loves David. And he loves us all, by the way, too. Today, we Lutherans, those of the church of the gospel, are tempted to forsake it. Hold on a second, what? You see, today we're tempted to only speak of pastor. Pastor Robatson. We're tempted only to remember how he walked on water like no other. How he could deliver a sermon from this pulpit like none other. How he could look at you with those piercing steel blue eyes, weren't they? How he could, how he could, how he could be. If anyone say it's Pastor Robatson, he's a pastor after all. Doesn't the entryway into heaven get stamped the second you enter seminary? Right? He gave it all up. He followed the Lord. And isn't there some sort of reward in this? He who had the respect of his fellow clergy. That sort of man must have earned heaven. Aren't we tempted in the slightest, at least? But maybe we don't say it that way. We know it's too crass and we're too Lutheran after all. And Lutherans are notoriously stubborn. 
Maybe if I were to ask it to you this way, why is he in heaven? How do you answer? Does your answer start with because Pastor Robatson and then fill in the blank? Or does your answer start with because Jesus fill in the blank? What Jesus did for him. You see, did Pastor Robatson, David Allen, not need Jesus Christ to be his Savior completely? If we think that our old Adam and Eve haven't shown up today, and we've all just piously entered into here as new men and new women, you're not only new men and women, but your old Adams and Eve showed up to the party too. Let me ask you this. Who of you hasn't been thinking since late 2016, why? Why? He gave his life to serve you, God. He served you so well. There was transition coming. He was looking to his community, looking to bring the little ones into the church. The preschool was starting up. New achievements and nearing the end of those achievements and finally looking forward to rest and retirement with his beloved. Why such a debilitating and slow disease? Why not make it quick, God? Didn't he deserve that? After so many years of service to you? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? I'm glad to hear silence there. It was rhetorical. You're not allowed to answer it. Job's comforters did well when they sat with him in the ashes for those seven days. It's when they opened up their mouths that they proved themselves otherwise. Why? Anyone who dares to answer dares to speak for the hidden God. And that person is full of hubris. Are you the one who could build your tower of Babel up to God, ascend into heavens, go think you have your answer, and bring it down to us in some platitude that's supposed to fix it all? That's truly a tower of battle because no platitude fixes it all. And you come down and you speak that platitude to those who suffer and grieve in a language that's incomprehensible. It's unintelligible. It's babbled, gargled, incoherent to those who suffer. Who has the explanation save God? And what happens when he's silent? Terribly silent. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You see, we don't go up into heaven to get some platitude to bring back down, some band-aid to make it all somehow feel better. No. God explains himself to you as the one who came down from heaven for David. He explains himself to you in his incarnation, enfleshed for you. Taking on David's flesh to buy David, to be his forevermore. The hidden, the mysterious, the inexplicable God, the God who doesn't show up with his reason, does show up with his revelation of himself to you as the God who is on the scene. Straightforwardly, 
not hidden any longer, he says to you that he loves you. And he explains himself to you at his cross with his lifeblood poured out for David, poured out for you. David was more than a pastor. David was a sinner. The wages of sin is death, and here we are. And here we are, sinners all, are awaiting our final summons too. No works save Christ's save us. No salvation merit was procured by David when he was a golden boy in Pittsburgh, a good student at college, even going to a synodical institution at Ann Arbor. No merit procured by him when he entered seminary, answered the call, or served the Lord's bride, the church, for over 20 years. Christ procured all of the salvation merit for David and for you by becoming man, perfectly obeying his Father's will, perfectly and passively suffering his Father's just wrath over every single one of the sins of the world, including David's and including yours. Jesus died our death to sin, becoming sin for us. Thanks be to God. Jesus made the payment on the cross that we were unable to make any one of us, all of us in total. It doesn't add up. Jesus made the payment. Only because of Jesus, all of David's sins were forgiven. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. The resurrection proves it. We cannot flee from God's presence revealed to us through his word. What is hidden is hidden. For what is revealed, we must start at the cross of Christ. There it is clear that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loves you. He rescues you from sin, death, and hell. There he proves himself and reveals himself as the God who is merciful and gracious. Here, God's revelation not only makes this God tolerable, but desirable and lovable. Christ's cross shows God to be love, to be the one who loved us when we were still sinners. David, you, me, we merit nothing from God. In fact, I suppose we do merit things from God, but they're not nice things, his wrath and displeasure eternally. But from God, through Jesus Christ, we have all received not that, but grace upon grace. David, you and I are saved by grace alone. And remember that, because that's the firm foundation. David was born as a child, not out child of God, not out of his own decision. Because of his Lutheran pedigree, his uh, first home's proximity to the church, or his service to the church. David was born from above by water and the Spirit in holy baptism on September 20th, 1959. That's when David died. That's when he died with Christ. And that's when eternal life began for him. God made sure to make himself known to David. He didn't stay hidden. 
God didn't stay hidden from him, and he didn't let David the sinner stay hidden from him either. Yes, David was a sinner, but even more so, he was and is a baptized child of God. In holy baptism, the blessed means of grace, God rescued David. God clothed David with the garment of salvation, the robe of Christ's righteousness. In holy baptism, David was also joined, though, to Christ's suffering, death, and life. Mysteriously, and that's a weighted word, we beheld that conformity to Christ. Not simply through Christ-like preaching, visiting, and compassion, but through suffering. During my last visit with David, before he had taken ill, the visits continued. I shared with him uh, what St. Andrew supposedly said when he was facing crucifixion with an X-shaped cross. Next time you see the flag of Alabama or our own state flag of Florida wave, think of St. Andrew. That's St. Andrew's cross, the red lines in the background. This is what St. Andrew said. O most beautiful cross that was glorified by carrying the body of Christ. Glorious cross, sweetly desired, ardently loved, always sought, and finally prepared for my heart that has so long awaited you. Take me, O cross. Embrace me. Release me from my life among men. Bring me quickly and diligently to the Master. Through you he will receive me. He who through you has saved me. In a word, David won. Two words. In David's words, we have salvation. The rest is gravy. He's not wrong. He's right. But not many of us are St. Andrews, and not many of us are St. David Robatsons either. Not many of us embrace the cross that's given us and see in it our deliverance from this valley of sorrow. As the hymn goes, we feebly struggle in this fallen, broken creation. Death's wrong. Today shouldn't be this way. We cry out, why? We shout, no. The tearing apart of one flesh into two hurts, and hurt isn't nice. Hurt hurts. The loss of your beloved pastor hurts. It stings. Today, the sting has to have the salve of the gospel applied. The tears must be wiped away, not by a platitude, but by the hands that have holes in them. None other than Jesus Christ, our Lord, must remind us hurt ones that he was hurt in our place for our eternal benefit. He was hurt for all the hurts that we do to one another. He has gone through death. That must be the one to tell us who are in the midst of death right now 
that he has won. That he has fought the fight and conquered. And that those who believe in him conquer too. Because Christ has died, yes, and is risen from the dead. Because God revealed himself in this way to David and to us all. We have the absolute confidence to click our heels together, to defy death with chin up, and to even make raspberries at it. We know full well that death doesn't win. It can puff itself up as long as it wants to. It's a nap for you and me. Death doesn't win. Cryptococcal meningitis doesn't win. The devil can never, never claw David out of the good shepherd's hands. Baptism brought David into God's hands, into the kingdom of Christ's marvelous light, and in this kingdom he was fed with true food, Christ's flesh. And true drink, Christ's blood. And David went in the strength of this food through this wilderness and through the dry places of this wilderness. But in the strength of that food, he went to his promised rest. God has revealed himself to David. He hasn't stayed hidden. God has revealed himself to David and to you as the Savior. For now, David's body is at rest, in peaceful sleep, and his soul goes on praising in paradise, awaiting the day of Christ's reappearing. On the last day, that body will be raised. Sown natural, sown weak, ravaged by meningitis. This very David Allen Robatson, this baptized son of God, will be raised in power and put on incorruption, immortality, the spiritual body. And don't we all await that day? We await that day praying, Lord Jesus Christ, quickly come. Come that we would have that reunion that we long for now with prophets, apostles, martyrs, pastors, all the saints, with David. We long and pray for that day when we will see the Son of God, our Savior's glorious face. When faith gives way to sight. When instead of the morning, we have the dancing, oil of gladness stuff, the headdress instead of the ashes today. God's favor with no hiddenness, no whys, no sin, no death, no devil to harass. We wait. And we do so in certainty. Maybe not patiently. I'm impatient. I want that day now. But we do so certainly with absolute certainty as God's baptized ones, his children, believers in him, those who have been blessed to the utmost by his body and blood in the sacrament, those whose sins are forgiven.
They are the ones who have life and salvation in Christ. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.